0: Hello there and welcome to this week's episode of Your Ghost Stories, wherever you may be listening around the world. Looking into our show analytics, we can see that most of you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We can also see that a number of you guys aren't yet following Your Ghost Stories on these platforms. If you could hit follow or even better, leave us a kind review, it would mean so much to us and it really helps the show grow and be found by more people, which in turn, helps us secure awesome guests and provides super entertaining and captivating conversations. All of that aside, we think you're going to love this one. We certainly did.
1: Good to see you guys. Yeah, you, you too,
0: man. You. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us.
1: No, I, I love
0: talking to people.
1: Good to be with you guys. I'm beating the bushes around here in America uh for all things Bigfoot and all kinds of strange phenomena. And uh you know my brother KJ and I were actually family. And uh when I started uh writing on the subject matter many years ago, I'm sure my brother, at at the very least, was a skeptic, if not completely agnostic to the existence of Bigfoot. But uh, he said to me, he said, you know, Bill, I can't believe the success you're having with this Bigfoot stuff. He says, I wish I had something to do like you. And I said, oh, you want to do something? I says, how about doing a podcast with me? So uh pretty much I told them uh, the format of what it would be which is what you hear now and uh I said look I'm going to give you some subject matter I want you to investigate uh and then I'm going to do a report on Bigfoot and then we'll uh we'll end the podcast with the mail coming in from our uh our listenership so I said now since I'm not the tech guy uh, it's up to you to figure out how to do this or how we're going to do this, you know. And uh, one thing led to another. And now, uh, uh, for the most part, I mean, I still feed him with things that I, I want to bring into the the realm of the podcast. But uh, he's doing like his own investigating now while I'm still working the Bigfoot scene uh, on the other side of the coin. So, you know. Uh, it's, it's good because, uh, KJ and I are two very different people. We lead different lives, uh, very different personalities, even though he's my brother, my younger brother. And, uh, so to me, it makes for a good mix, you know, and I think he's turned a corner as far as Bigfoot is concerned.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. Yeah. So has has KJ not always been a believer in Bigfoot then?
1: I don't know what his stance was initially, but I got the impression. I mean, I don't interrogate him, I just invited him into my world, you know. I kind of got the impression early on that uh uh he could take it or leave it, not necessarily believing in it. Uh, but uh I think we've turned a page. You know, we talk about a lot of things, but uh, uh, the Bigfoot uh, phenomena is hard to deny. Uh, And I always take the stand that with all of the people I interview, and many of them have become actually good friends of mine, uh, that's how solid these individuals are that I could call and talk to them for an hour about anything, including Bigfoot or anything else, you know, just friends. And uh, when I get into their lives and see the lives they lead and the things that they do and the knowledge that they have, uh, I'll give you a for instance. Uh, a fella had contacted me probably over a month ago uh, through the podcast uh, telling me that he had had an encounter. And uh, he sent me his name, as a lot of people do, and his number, and I got in touch with him. Well, this guy was a guide for 30 years at a ranch on the backside of Pikes Peak in Colorado. Uh, He won guide of the year three years in the state. And he was taking important people out, as well as, you know, people like you and I, uh, such as General Schwarzkopf, Colin Powell. Uh, He was a guy to go to. Uh, what you wanted to score uh, elk or bear in that region. Uh, This ranch was leasing 5 million acres of property to hunt on. And the stories he told me of numerous encounters, uh, including uh, one of them that gave him an interview of some sort on the show Monster Quest, just his knowledge. And, you know, when you have conversations with people about things, if it's a conversation, it's going to lead into a lot of other areas. What do you do? How do you do it? How long have you been over there? And then these side stories open up uh, about, you know, one day and this day and, uh, blah, 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 and you really get taken inside of their world and into their mind and their makeup. Which opens up that whole window of wow! This guy is like an encyclopedia on guiding uh, for animals. So, and uh, he's just one guy. One guy. My good friend Dave, who gave me the stencil. I'm going to show you something here. You'll get. I hope I can show you. I think you'll get a kick out of this if it'll show up on the camera. Um, quickly, Bill, quickly. The, uh, come oh, here it is. Okay. Now, I don't know, I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but I'm going to show it to you. This is my friend Dave, and the picture is cropped so that you could see Dave and, can you see that?
0: Yeah, we see
2: that. Yeah, you can see that.
1: Okay. Uh Dave is a guy that came to me uh probably a couple of years ago to share an account. He's been a logger for just shy of 40 years in Oregon. Uh he had a couple of encounters uh in the state uh in an area known as Salmonberry Canyon. And uh His friend Kelly, in 1985, was attacked in a camping trailer in that very same canyon, basically 95, probably 25 years before Dave had his first encounter in the same area. And Dave is a real stand-up guy. He's smart as a whip. He builds boats. Uh, He's been logging for almost 40 years. Uh, He's a a no-nonsense, nuts-and-bolts guy uh, that does everything, including building his own house. And when these guys talk to me, oh, by the way, this cutout is Dave was going to try to send me one of these, and he cut it in half and boxed it. The price tag was almost $400 to ship it to me. Wow. And we were like, ah, no thanks. So I asked Dave if he could make a stencil of it. So he took like uh, construction paper, etched out that big black monster, and taped it all together, rolled it up in a tube, and sent it to me. And so uh, day before yesterday, I cut this whole thing out on a sheet of plywood, and today I primed the first side of the plywood. But that badass mother is going right out of my front lawn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice.
1: I hope I don't scare too many children.
0: (laughs) So, can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested into the controversial subject of Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever you want to call him?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I I had an interest in this thing from way back when, when the Patterson-Gimlin film was first released. Uh, You guys have seen that, haven't you?
2: I have, yeah, and I've seen the um, stabilized version as well, which is a lot more easy to watch. Yeah, well, if you know the story,
1: uh, Bob Gimlin and and, uh, Patterson, Patterson had asked Gimlin to take a ride with him into the woods. And when I say a ride, you know, we're talking a week or two. And he was on a mission to actually find what they found, which some people may find incredible. But I say to myself, hey, man, seek and you will find. If you have eyes open, chances are you're going to see something. And on that trip, uh, they got lucky. Now, Gimlin was taken along. Because Bob Gimlin was a master uh, horse wrangler and uh, outdoorsman. So my understanding is that Patterson had invited him along basically to see to it that everything went okay. Watch the horses, you know, take care of that end of things. Now, when when Patterson got off of his horse, having seen that thing emerge, uh, I think he tripped and fell. And uh then, at some point, he got to steady it. I mean, you can imagine the frantic nature or the madness that would incur in that moment that you would actually find what you're looking for and that was the footage that he got now, a lot of people uh say bullshit, you know, it's a guy in a suit. Well, I have a degree in occupational therapy, and uh uh. Extensive knowledge of the uh, human anatomy, uh, anatomical construct, muscles, movement, k- kinesiology. When I look at that creature in that film, there is nothing less than living muscle tissue attached to living skin with fur on it, moving exactly the way it should move in that picture. That is a real living creature. That they filmed that day. Uh, and of course, the, the debate roars on, but I don't even care about the d- debate because I don't need anybody's approval uh, to tell me I'm right or wrong. And since then, I don't know, I guess like a fire got lit in me some time ago to just, I had this notion. And the rest is history, as they say, because, like I had this interest, but it was in the background of my life with many other things going on at the time, and I just started to dig into that and uh gather and develop uh stories and reports uh and today it's better than it's ever been because now I have the podcast uh and many, many books out there, and uh I have a lot of people contacting me. So it's it's really interesting, you know. And uh, like I said, I've developed a lot of friendships and a lot of strange things have happened along the way.
0: Your ghost stories, Your ghost story. So as we know, you are a successful podcaster, researcher, and an accomplished author of... Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, your series of books. Um, so, as you say, you've spoke to so many people about this subject. So could you tell us some of your most memorable or favorite stories that you've encountered over the last few years? Oh, my God. I, I mean, the list is endless. But
1: one of the ones that I, I've repeated many times, uh, which is really a, complex story but i'll get to the chase uh in the early 60s a group of fathers and young boys uh midwest united states uh got the trip of a lifetime going as a group up into canada to lake fish for uh, muskies which is a ferocious a ferocious type of uh freshwater fish uh, and up in those parts, these fish uh, grow upwards of 36 inches, 40 inches. They were on this lake fishing with a guide in three separate aluminum boats without outboards. All of the boats facing the shoreline on this lake that was pretty much treed all the way around right up against the water. There were certain areas of the lake, though, where trees hadn't grown I don't want to call it a beach, but it was a bare area next to the woods that was otherwise hard up against the lake itself. So these guys are fishing. They're throwing lures or what we call plugs, swimming plugs, into the grass that grows deep on the shallow areas of the shoreline. This is where these muskies like to hide out. While they're fishing, they hear what the fella Described as a roar coming from some place in the distance to their left, he looked at Lars, the guide, and said, "What the hell is that?" And Lars had told him, "That's ah, probably a bear." A short time later, another roar erupts from the opposite direction. So he said to me, "I knew it. That I knew in that moment." There was either more than one bear, if it was a bear, or one really fast running bear. (laughs) It couldn't get from here to there. So now (laughs) these roars start happening simultaneously, and they sound like they're coming together in front of them in the woods. Mind you, they can't see anything. All they're doing is hearing while they're sitting near the shore with their rods, Well, all hell breaks loose in the woods in front of them. And he said it sounded like a lion fight. And these two freaking Sasquatches came tumbling out of the trees, smacking and biting and wrestling with each other on this patch of shoreline in front of them. So Lars tells them to start the engines and they backed away from the shore killing the motors again, and now like spectators to what's going on in front of them. This guy told me that the loudness of the growling and the shouting, whatever you want to call it, was so loud, it was vibrating the uh, the wooden oars on the aluminum seats in the boat. And one thing that he said that was really interesting was He said at no time did these creatures punch each other with a closed fist. He said they were slapping each other and like grappling like Roman Greco wrestling and biting each other, which he thought was to gain an advantage over the other one. And one of them, after a short time, got smacked down by the other one to the ground, and he thought it was dead. And When he left it there, the other one howled up in the air and then went back into the woods, and they got the freak out of there. (laughs) But Lars went back there the next day by himself and said that the creature that was knocked down to the ground was gone. So was it just unconscious? Did it get up? Was it dragged out of there? Nobody knows, but that was one of the most insane uh uh encounters, and I labeled that the fight for obvious reasons. another one that was you know I mean that they're all over the spectrum uh I had a trooper uh he didn't want to tell me what state he was in, but based on his description, I think he was in New Hampshire, which is up in the east northeast portion of the state, like probably uh seven or eight hour drive from where I live. He was on highway patrol at night. And he told me that his habit was to stake out a couple of stop signs to give out some tickets if he could. And then he would go out onto the highway to try to catch some speeders. He had parked his police vehicle next to what he said was a rock wall. And the reason I think it was New Hampshire, because New Hampshire is known as the Granite State. And if you drive up there, which I have on the highways up there, it's very common to see granite walls and outcroppings all over the place that they actually cut through to make highways at some point in the past. He was parked next to this wall, it's dark. And he sees headlights coming. And then he hears somebody laying on the horn. Now, you can't see the car. He picked this spot because it was a hideout. By the time you came by him going too fast, he already had you. So he sees the lights. He knows somebody's coming. It's dark. Now he hears the horn. And the car goes zooming by. He happened to be behind the car taking care of business, if you will, uh, in the dark when the lights came and the horns started blaring. As he turns around to go back to his door to get in the vehicle, from behind the rock face that's to his left, the Sasquatch comes walking out, basically. And 15 feet away from him. So he knew in that moment, the car was beeping the horn at this Sasquatch and was not too keen on stopping. <laughs> so he pulled his flashlight out of his belt, shone it at the thing, and also drew his gun. And this thing, like, flexed up and growled at him. And he said, for whatever reason, I didn't pull the trigger. And it turned and leaped across the highway, running up into the woods on the other side of the street. I mean, these are just some of the crazy encounters that people walk into. And I'm talking, I had a guy in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, which is right on the the Great Lakes, the border of like Canada. He had one walk across the car, uh, walk across the road in front of him with his mother. He was driving his mother. He was 16 years old. It was a snowstorm, and he was creeping along. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) And this creature walked right across the road in front of him and his mother and walked away into the woods. So some of the sightings are what I call simple sightings. Like you see something and you're like, what the hell is that? You know, that happens a lot. Uh, But I always say in the podcast, if you meet up with Bigfoot and you go home, you've had a really good day. (laughs) Because my opinion is these things could twist you up in a knot and throw you off a cliff and there'd be nothing you could do about it. So I think people are crazy uh, for going out there and trying to find these things, and looking for them at night and all of this, now, I watch this stuff because I have an interest in it, but I think they're just out of their minds. You know, when I was a young uh guy, uh, I used to have a couple of paper routes and ride around on my bicycle with the baskets on it, delivering different newspapers and you know, even back then. There were certain dogs on the routes where you knew if they came out like uh, this dog was friendly, right? And then there were other dogs that no matter what day you went by there, or even a stray occasionally, that when they come at you, it was snarling, showing you their teeth, and they wanted to bite you. And I say to myself, what's different about Sasquatch? It's another animal. You have no idea what the disposition of this creature is when you get close to it, whether accidentally or intentionally. And me, I don't want anything to do with it. I think they're out of their freaking minds. But you think of something uh, that can twist a fresh tree limb on the tree. Think about that. I don't think I could grab a one-inch-wide tree branch hanging off of a live tree and twist it at all. And these things can twist three, four, five, six-inch branches, snap them off live, and use them to make these uh, enclosures and or like bedding or nesting areas, as they call them. It's, It's crazy, man. These are very, very powerful and formidable creatures.
2: takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of strength just to be able to do that. Oh um, yeah. One of the stories I found most fascinating, um, which I heard a while back, I actually heard you on um, Sa- Sasquatch Chronicles. Oh, that was but, a um, long time ago yeah yeah well i i recently not long ago discovered uh sasquatch chronicles and also your podcast as well and uh, uh while while i'm at work I, I put it on and listen to it but one of the stories that always it, like really just like caught me and uh, just like stuck with me was the um i think it was called the taxidermist's evidence about yes. the, the courier going into the taxidermy yes well you know the story lot more than what what i do but i i that one just yeah i thought it was a
1: Well, it just shows you how things can happen, Uh, and and the old adage, "Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we try to deceive." He had gone into this shop as he did regularly on his route, bringing deliveries to this guy, whatever he had ordered. And he knew the fellow obviously on a first name basis. He knew his gig, and when he came in that day, he walked up to the counter called him, and he didn't get an answer. But then I think he looked and he saw the bathroom door was closed. So the radio was on, the bathroom door was closed. He figured he was in the bathroom. I think he stepped through the door into the back room, which is probably something that he wasn't opposed to doing. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it. And there, in the middle of the table, is the head of a Bigfoot, with all the entrails and stuff hanging out of the bottom. He stepped back out, thinking, I guess, like, I don't think I'm supposed to be back here seeing this. And when he came out, he acted like nothing happened. He wasn't in the back room, and you know, pretty much, hey, how you doing, man? Okay, yeah, what are you up to? He says, ah, I think he said he was. Uh, taxiderming a wild boar or something in the back. <coughs> well, see, now he knew he was lying to him because there was no freaking boar's head on that table back there. So he knew two things. Number one, this is real because the taxidermist didn't spend time uh, taxiderming fake things they take live hunted objects and preserve them for the hunters. And number two, he told them that it was a boar or whatever he said it was, and it was obviously not a wild boar. So, you know, it's just, it's strange how things uh, can work, you know? And, you know, I always take the the stance that You know, when people are talking to me about what they've seen or experienced, could a certain amount of these people be pulling my leg? Possibly. But to what gain? So you say, yeah, I got one over on (laughs) WJC. You know, so big deal. I'm not paying you. There's no personal gain for you in having done that. And I realize these things could happen. But more often than not, uh, I feel that the people are genuine and that they're sharing with you perhaps something they've wanted to share for a long time, which many of them say. It's a very strange thing. You know, people just don't want to come out and start talking trash about Bigfoot or flying saucers or, uh, you know, angels or ghosts because they don't want people to think they're weird. Uh, I, on the other hand, don't give a rat's ass what you think about me. So it doesn't matter. I talk, I open up the subject to a lot of different people and let the chips fall where they may. I don't care what they think about me. And you'd be surprised how many doors of opportunity open up to me just being willing to talk to people, uh, to breach a subject, to stick your neck out a little bit, to get a little uncomfortable.
0: You know, I got nothing to lose, you know. so. That's the way it goes, you know? It's funny, isn't it? Do you find it do you find it strange that kind of how your life has panned out? Or did you expect this as a child to be kind of doing this as a career?
1: Oh, not at all. But then uh, who does? You know, I've heard many people say, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do for a living.
0: <laughs> You're clearly super passionate about what you do and you clearly love it.
1: Yeah, and I don't, uh, you know, I don't close the door on anything uh, in the future. Only the good Lord knows really what's in store for me down the road. You know, my wife went to heaven about a year and a half ago. And uh, I've been praying. I'm a devout Christian man. Uh, And I said to Jesus, I said, Jesus, I don't know half or a pinhead's worth of what you know about what we can and cannot do when we leave this body. But I said, what I do know is that when you were resurrected, you could make a fire on the beach, call the apostles in to have some fish and bread with you. You walked through walls, you appeared to hundreds of people, You had Peter, James, and John up on the mount when Elijah and Moses appeared with you, both of whom had been dead for thousands of years. So I said, I believe my wife can do these things too. I believe she can come to me, she can talk to me, and I'm believing that I will even see her before I see her again in glory. And she has been doing things around my house that would rattle your cage, man. Moving things, turning pictures on their side, uh, taking one of her favorite little teddy bears and tucking it in behind the pillow on the bed with the sheets up against it. Uh, Turning things on and off, doing things. And there's no fear in this, guys. It's it's. It's happening because I believe it can happen. And I believe because God is allowing it to happen because of my faith. But some people, when I tell them this stuff, they're like, oh, oh, that would scare me. Well, listen, man, I don't know where you're at, but you're probably in a bad place if that scares you. Because my faith says when I leave this body, I'm not dead unless I've gone to hell. And that's not going to happen. I'm alive. Eternal life. That's what we're talking about. Eternal life with God in heaven, all the angels and saints, all the greatness that's in store for those who love Jesus. And that's where I am.
0: (laughs) You sound like you're in a great place. Do you find comfort in knowing that your wife is still around you? Absolutely.
1: And I can't wait till it ups. I can't wait till the ante is up and more things are happening and greater things are happening. And, you know, I've had several angelic encounters in my life, uh, which I won't get into with you guys. They're highly personal nature. And uh, but nothing, capital N, nothing can prepare you in any way, shape or form with that type of encounter. And I understand fully why when we read of Mary being approached by the angel Gabriel, the first thing he said to her was, Mary, don't be afraid. (laughs) Because I guarantee you, I don't care who you are, you're going to be dropped dead, smacked in the face scared to death when you have one of these encounters. That's how shocking it is coming into our world of flesh and blood as we know it. It's really quite incredible, you know, but I feel bad for people. I really genuinely feel bad for people who are agnostic, don't believe, practicing evil things, doing I, I just feel bad for them because you have no idea what you're getting into and what you're delving and what you're denying yourself of obtaining. So much better on the other side of the fence.
2: I can imagine there's a quite a fair few skeptics or atheists on their deathbed. I'm pretty sure they're praying to God and on those last moments. Well,
1: you, know? you would hope. Yeah. You would hope. Your ghost stories. Your ghost stories. You know, another interesting thing, like when you talk about what gets you interested in Bigfoot, are you fellas aware of the Portlock, Alaska problems back in the 1940s here in the States?
2: No, I haven't I'm heard not, about that. I'm not sure no. You never
1: heard of Portlock? No. Well, Portlock in Alaska was a bunch of uh, indigenous people up there had created a town. And the town included a fish cannery. So they had created this whole community to fish for, can, and bring to market fish. It was a money-making prosperity thing for the town and the people. So they had this whole thing set up. Uh, A lot of people there, including a post office, a church, little houses, you know, the whole thing. It was a little community. People started going missing. The long and short of it was, after not too long a period of time, I think Over 30 people had disappeared. Some of their bodies had washed up, dismembered on the shore. I think it was over a dozen hunters went out, never showed up again. And one man was killed by being hit with, I think it was a snowplow off of a truck. Now, think of a snowplow mounted on the front of a truck or a pickup truck. I mean, there ain't no way you're picking that sucker up, let alone using it as a murder weapon. They abandoned the entire operation. This was in the 1940s. Sometime later, some people, the same people or other people, decided to go back and give it a second try. The same thing happened to them, and that community stands abandoned to this very day. Just left it, the investment, the hard work, bye-bye, we're out of here. Now that was in newspapers up there uh this is well known. this is not some he said she said this was a whole community of people, including a lot of people, relatives and family members, that never came back and or were found dead uh and they claim that it was what we call the bigfoot creature. They had another name for it, which now when you go into these uh, uh, North American uh, indigenous people, the Indian tribes, uh, a number of different names are used for Sasquatch, depending where you were in Canada or uh, in the United States. But they're all talking about the same thing. A big, monstrous, hairy mother jumper that could tear you limb from limb if it decides it wants to. You know, think of this, guys. You look at an old totem pole, and people spent a lot of time and effort hacking these things out of a tree trunk, and you'll see a salmon. You see the head of a bear. You see an eagle. And then you see the head of some big, fat, hairy
2: bastard. (laughs)
1: Now, look, does it make sense to you that I recognize and readily know what the other four or five things are, and then all of a sudden this monster head is plugged in there? I think they know all too well what that thing is, and it's also something they recognize as being in the forest, and they've included it in that totem. Why else would you do it? It doesn't make any sense. Just doesn't make any sense.
2: I, th- I think some of the natives they um, they believe as well, don't they? That um, well, they they were they were claimed that um, the bigfoot would eat the would steal steal them and eat them, use them as um, you know, harvest them and use them as food. I've heard now, that many a times.
1: Yeah, some of the tribes refer to them as kidnappers. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. Uh, My friend Kelly, who was the guy that got attacked in his trailer in 1985 in the Salmonberry Canyon in Oregon, he has a house. His property is up against a mountain. He's got a workshop in his rear yardage. And he's out there one day, and he hears... Kelly, Kelly. And I said to him, was it a male or a female voice? And he said to me, it sounded female. A couple of days later, whatever the time frame was, his wife is now out with him by the shop. Kelly. Kelly. And his wife says, what the hell is that? And he says, I don't know. It's been going on. Now, let's fast forward. My friend Rob lives in British Columbia. He's a physical therapist. He's had a Bigfoot encounter and it opened his eyes up to this whole phenomenon. He's actually a former Brit coming from your neighborhood, having moved to British Columbia. And uh, he talks with a real New York accent. (laughs) And one of his clients is a retired uh, Royal Canadian mounted police woman. And he's doing physical therapy on her. So, He takes a shot with this woman, talking to her while he's working on her, and he shares with her that he was up in this particular location by Pierce Lake, and something was throwing rocks at him and his wife. So this woman, who happened to have been an Indian, retired from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, she looks at him and says where were you when the rocks were being thrown at you? And he tells her, I was at Pierce Lake. (coughs) She looked at him and she said, that was a Sasquatch that was throwing those rocks at you. And she said, one of two things was going on there. Either it was chasing you out of that area for some reason, or it may have even been protecting you by making you leave because something was stalking you, like a cougar. Then she went on to say to Robert that in their community, they were told not to whistle for their children or to call them by name because the Sasquatch could mimic the whistling and or your voice or calling to get you to come to them. And I said to Kelly, that's exactly why that was a female voice you heard. That Sasquatch was mimicking your wife calling you from the house when you're in the shop. But it got tripped up when the two of them were out there and it was mimicking the wife or the female voice as opposed to a deeper, more gruff voice, you know. But people talk about these things, whistling, the the whooping, the hollering, the jabbering, this crazy kind of... People mimic that kind of thing to me all the time. They hear things and they can't make it out. Something is being said, I don't know what it is. So it's very bizarre. Uh, very bizarre, the uh, the things going on uh, around this creature, you know?
0: So that leads us nicely onto this question. So we've heard par- about the paranormal being attached to Bigfoot sightings. Yeah, I have no doubt. Exactly. And being a podcast that talks about ghosts and the paranormal, you know, we have to ask you, could you talk a bit more about your opinions on something otherworldly about Bigfoot?
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, And I'm going to preface everything I say to you on my faith. You have God. You have Satan. You have good. You have evil. Satan is known as the liar, the deceiver. He wants to lead you down a path in your lifetime. And he doesn't give a crap what you believe in or don't believe in as long as you don't believe in Jesus risen from the dead. And in that light, they can mimic, they can cause things to happen. We don't have an inkling what these creeps are capable of, but they were angels and they still are fallen angels. And exactly what they're capable of doing is an unknown by us. But I can guarantee you this, I don't care if it's a TV show that's trying to tell you you were seated here on planet Earth by ancient aliens or somebody doing incantations in the woods, or if you're an out and out Satanist, whatever your deal is, there is deception going on there. And I think that relative to the UFO phenomena and relative to some of these Bigfoot encounters and other things going on, I think this is all part of the grand deception to get you to believe in something other than you were created by God and that you're going to return to him or you're going to return somewhere else, but you're returning somewhere. Malachi Martin, Father Malachi Martin was an exorcist for the Vatican. Uh, He passed away years ago. I remember him referring to people, some people as being perfectly possessed. And what he said was, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Satan. Therefore, they are of no service to God and no threat to the devil, so he doesn't have to waste any resources on them. They're already his. When you see Bigfoot going behind on infrared Going behind what appears to be like a curtain or a wall and just vanishing. Flesh and blood creatures do not disappear, heat signature and all, outside at night. It just doesn't happen. And there are no straight lines like a concrete wall in the woods. You just don't go behind a straight edge like you walk behind a curtain. Doesn't happen. Then you introduce the orbs that are seen around these things, UFO encounters, adjoining Bigfoot encounters. There's some type of interconnected relationship there with what I believe is a real Bigfoot and something being mimicked. And it doesn't shock me at all. And I don't spend any time trying to figure it out because you'll never figure it out. But there's something else going on there. And in my opinion, it is just part of the grand deception of the enemy's camp on the human race. You know, he doesn't care what you believe. As long as he can get his hooks in you and take you down with him. He's evil, pure evil. Like you guys, you're into the whole ghost thing. And I'm going to sell you something that may rock your world. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. When you see dark entities, think evil, because that's what you're seeing. This is not some little child that got lost and can't find its way to the light. This is some evil entity mimicking a child crying or laughing or giggling or appearing like a, a, a shadow figure, or the, the Hat man. All of these things are coming from the dark side and trying to deceive mankind.
0: But on that note, you also believe in good, right? Absolutely. So you believe good can manifest itself as well?
1: Look at what my wife is doing. There is nothing frightening about what my wife is doing. It's freaking puts a smile on my face from ear to ear every time it happens. This is not a frightening experience. This is not evil. This is a woman who had a life dedicated to God and passed in a normal thing of things from life unto life. This life to life everlasting. It's a normal progression that God intended for every man and woman on this planet. But greater are the amount going the wrong way <laughs> yeah. than those go- going the right way.
2: I think that's quite evident to see in these days, isn't it? Um, Come on! yeah you,
1: you, You'd have to be blind and deaf <laughs> to not be a- awakened or not have the capability to see the way things are going. I challenge anybody to to tell me they think everything is hunky dory on this planet in this state of affairs in these days and times. It's freaking crazy and it's going to get worse. But I don't I don't spend a lot of time worrying about that because I'm always praying. I'm always, you know, trying to do what I can. So I know in the end I win. I freaking win. I already know it. All I got to do is get to the finish line.